Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of IBD Heal, a podcast brought to you by High Carb Health. I'm your host Shukul and today we have a very special guest, Juliana Hever, also known as the Plant-Based Dietitian. Very excited to have Juliana on the show today. She's going to be sharing a whole lot of interesting information on a few different topics which we'll get into as we go into the video. But here's a little bit about her. There is nothing Juliana loves more than diving into a colossal bowl of salad. Known as the plant-based dietitian, Juliana has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theatre from UCLA and a Master of Science degree in Nutrition from Cal State Northridge, bringing her three biggest passions for food, performing and helping people. As a registered dietitian, Juliana has authored seven books including the brand new Choose You Now Diet, The Health Span Solution, Plant-Based Nutrition, Idiot's Guide, Vegetarian Diet, and two peer-reviewed journal articles on plant-based nutrition for healthcare professionals. Past projects have included being the host of What Would Juliana Do?, giving a TEDx talk, writing as the nutrition columnist of Veg News Magazine, and teaching the eCornell Plant-Based Nutrition Certification Program. She recently co-hosted Science and Sorcery and Facebook Watches Home Sweat Home and has appeared on Harry, The Dr. Oz Show, The Steve Harvey Show, Reluctantly Healthy, The Marie Osmond Show, and E! News. Very excited to have Juliana on the show today, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. I am joined here by Juliana Hever, also known as the Plant-Based Dietitian. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited uh, to have Juliana on the show. We've been following her pages online and Instagram and Facebook for a long time. And she always shares really interesting, inspiring, uh, creative and um, very helpful tips on how to follow a plant-based diet and uh, also the science around the benefits of following a plant-based diet. So today um, we'd like to cover a few different topics, but just to start off with, um, can we have a little bit of an introduction around your journey and, and what led you to move into the plant-based world? Yes, well, my journey was quite long and quite windy. <laughs> Started way back when, when I was a teenager and I stumbled upon John Robbins' book, Diet for New America. And that shifted everything I knew about food and the connection to, of course, diet and health and the animals and the environment. It was just mind blowing. And I was so curious about it. So I decided I was going to give up animal products and live without them and, you know, happily ever after. But of course, it's not that simple. And I didn't know anyone that was following that way of eating back way back then. And so I did everything I could. I just didn't eat the animal products. I would eat the side dishes. I'd eat the little junk food, you know, little snacky foods in my house. I wasn't cooking quite yet because I was still too young or not really trained to cook yet. And so my parents did what I, they staged what I like to call their intervention. Mm -hmm. And they had their really good, our family friend who was a nurse, Kendra, we all went out to a steakhouse and they ordered me a teriyaki steak with a pineapple ring on top. And while that steak came and I'm looking at the steak thinking, once you know, you can't unknow where that steak came from. But Kendra was doing her job and she was telling me, warning me how I was going to be at risk for protein deficiency and iron deficiency. And I would never grow to my potential, blah, 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 all the things. And of course, I got worried. And so I remember that first bite. I write about it in a few of my books, actually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I went back to what was normal, what typical, what everyone else was eating. And 
I went back to just kind of accepting what is. But like I always say, I realized that like the vegetarians weren't dying off like flies. Like that wasn't making the headlines. So there had to be more to the story. So I kept reading and reading and reading and studying. Fast forward, I went to graduate school in nutrition. And as I was a personal trainer for many, many years, just I was doing the, I was doing acting in the, you know, LA, I'm in LA. And so I was acting. And then on the side, I was doing personal training. And then when people, when I started personal training and everyone was asking me about nutrition, I decided I wanted to know what I was saying and why, rather than just spit back the the chapter of nutrition I had received technically in personal training, you know, the training for the, the exam. So went to graduate school, studied everything I could, and all of the little warning signs are kind of like piquing my interest. For example, all of the forms that say you need to have your clients or patients consume three servings of dairy every single day. And then in the small fine print at the bottom, it would say sponsored by the Dairy Council. Hmm. And the first time I went to a meeting for the, it was then the Academy of, well, it was then American Dietetic Association. Now it's Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Hmm. And I went to my first one as a student. I was blown away when I walked into the expo hall and there were these enormous signs from the dairy industry and the fast food industry and all the junk food. Hmm. And I didn't even see any booths for the broccoli industry or anything like that. (laughs) And that also got my attention. So once I finally finished graduate school, I was like, I'm going to dig back into this literature. And I started to look at where you can get your protein and just fine and how you can get better sourced iron from plants. And I was able to dig into the research with now the information and the ability to dig into the statistics and to understand, you know, how to really analyze research. And that was it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going for it. I just had kids. I was sitting at home, you know, just finished grad school. And I switched over to a plant-based diet and everything changed for me. I had lifelong sinus infections that I Mm. suffered with, gone. Acne, I couldn't get rid of no matter what I tried. I tried everything for 25 years, gone. My skin cleared up. GI problems that I had, which I know is apropos to your story, gone, like improved. That was it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's so much better. And then of course I kept practicing and honing it and everything. But then I started implementing it with my clients because I was just now becoming a dietitian and transitioning from my personal training job. Hmm. And that was it. Like I couldn't believe the results I was getting with my clients. Like I, in graduate school was taught that the role of the healthcare practitioner is to avoid, you know, you wanted to mitigate the need for increased dosing of medications, or you wanted to Mm. mitigate the progression of disease. They never mentioned the potential to reverse medication use or the diagnoses. Mm. But indeed, I have been seeing that now for 18 years again and again and again, and Mm. there's no turning back now. Wow. That's yeah. You must have so many amazing stories of people who've just totally transformed their health. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's that's it's just so fascinating when you hear those kind of stories where you go into the expo halls and, and there's just so much lobbying and marketing done to health professionals from these industries. And, um, and then you wonder why this message isn't getting out to to the wider public and it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Well, it starts in preschool when they're indoctrinating us. I mean, here in the United States, we've got those milk mustaches mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in the little in, in the little cafeterias for these little tiny kids. And then, you know, and then the doctor's offices are making sure you get enough dairy because the healthcare Mm. professionals are being fed the same information 
you know, I, I get free continuing education by these industries and continuing education is expensive. So why not just go, oh, okay, I'm just going to take this. And mm. you just accept it as a truth. Like we just have accepted this so, so in depth that nobody can, it's very hard to unseat the idea mm. that if you don't have dairy, your teeth and bones are going to dissolve or that if you don't eat meat, you're going to lose all of your muscle mass. It's so indoctrinated into us that at every level of education mm. and every age group and every everyone really believes these ideas. And it's really hard to change that that meet that um messaging absolutely it's not just the us in new zealand every single child in primary school has to be given a punnet of milk every day at at school and if you don't want it you have to write in to the school and say that we don't want my child to have you know or, or i'm going to provide them with soy milk or something else um so i mean i grew up in new zealand i live in australia now but yeah i grew up in new zealand so and, then, and there's a huge dairy industry there in New Zealand with Fonterra as well. So um, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what's also amazing to me—I mean, not to go off on a tangent but about dairy, because I just think that is the most pervasive industry mm. out there, mm -hmm. really loud, and a lot of people are really, really concerned about it. But it doesn't even make sense from a, if you even think about it from an evolutionary standpoint. Mm. It's up to like 65 upwards of 90% of certain populations are lactose deficient as adults or even like as children. Why are we pushing that narrative mm. that you have to have it, even if your body's doing everything it can to reject it? Mm. That's just one example. It's just, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And there's so many different things you can talk about like that, you know, like from a, from a physiological level as a mammal, we don't need milk after, after we're weaned from our mother and all those kind of things as well. But yeah, dairy is a, as you can go on about dairy for a long time but what i wanted yeah. to talk about today and it's a topic that i've been getting asked a lot of and i thought it'd be you know who better to ask than than you about oxalates uh and it's a topic that i guess has made headlines in the last couple of years um was it chris hemsworth who kind of got some got some issues or liam hemsworth someone ate too many greens and they they blamed it on oxalates and so now it kind of started making rounds in the media and things like that. So um, how about we just start from the beginning, you know, what are oxalates and then, and, and what do they do or what functions do they have in our body and where do you get them from? Well, first of all, it's not even quite a big issue whatsoever. You know, again, I've seen all sorts of clients and patients with all sorts of health concerns, everything across the board. And, you know, oxalates are basically one compound found in some plants that may inhibit absorption of certain nutrients. So they call it an anti-nutrient, but it also can sometimes, but not most frequently be a source of a type of kidney stone that certain people get. So like you can get an oxalate stone, but most of the time, I don't think that's one of the predominant stones that people get. They get different, there's different causes of kidney stones and that's just one of the many. So yeah. I think this is, a, again, it's one of those things that just get hyped up in the media and everyone's so confused, like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't eat plants as if there's any evidence to suggest that eating a diet of vegetables high in vegetables and fruits is anything but ideal. Like every single <laughs> big body, you know, the World Health Organization, American Cancer Society, like everyone that makes regulations for food will agree, no matter how extreme that fruits and vegetables are a centerpiece for the diet. But so mm. oxalates are found in certain greens or found, it's found in chocolate, it's found in a few foods, but there's, it's an interesting concept because what I see in terms, like the only concern I have with my clients and what I always, the only time I ever talk about oxalates, unless someone has oxalate stones, 
is you want to diversify your greens because there are certain greens that are higher in oxalates. And what I think is so interesting is that when I tell people that leafy green and cruciferous vegetables are the healthiest things they could possibly consume, and I recommend eating those every day, people tend to gravitate towards spinach Mm -hmm. because spinach is like an easy, it's a more mild one, it's less bitter, and people just seem to think it's the health food of the century. It's healthy, but they happen to be one of the higher ones in oxalates. So I see people like the only green they eat is spinach. And I say, why don't you just like switch it up? So the ones that are highest in oxalates would be things like spinach and Swiss chard and rainbow chard, all that. Mm. But the best bets are to opt for, again, diversifying your greens, but especially the ones that are low oxalate, such as kale and even lettuce is really great. Cabbage is really great. Broccoli. Mm. There's a lot of greens that are very low in oxalates. And so you just kind of want to just like with anything, just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. And mm-hmm. it's good to diversify your, your portfolio, your nutritional portfolio anyway, to avoid getting too much of something and not enough of something else. You want to have a lot of diversity in your diet. Absolutely. And it just makes sense from so many different levels, you know, in terms of different types, forms of nutrition, uh, different, um, you know, types of gut microbes that feed on different fibers. So having different types of um, plants that makes complete sense. Um uh, so you're, you're basically saying that it's mostly a non-issue for for the majority of the people that you see. Yes. I mean, I've had a handful. Well, what's really interesting, too, is I've had a handful of people that have come to me specifically. They were on a plant-based diet and they were diagnosed with oxalate stone. So this is mm-hmm. over a long period of years. Mm. And when you look at the research, even, even to analyze which foods have the most oxalates, even that is hard to find. It's not even that well documented. It's not like you go to a nutrient database and it knows how to calculate oxalates mm-hmm. so it's a very it's a tricky thing to navigate but again i don't think it's an issue for most people most people have kidney stones because they're eating too much animal product or because they're not drinking enough water and they're dehydrated and mm. but that's the majority of kidney stones so it's just really a non-issue for most people it's not something to worry about so there you go everyone if you're worried about oxalates it's most likely that it's been overhyped and another scare tactic to try and get you to move away from a plant-based diet or scare you from thinking about opting for a plant-based diet um, and eating your greens is healthy. The most yes. healthy foods that you can eat are greens. So don't, don't be scared of them. Um, and as um, Juliana said, diversify them. So don't try and eat the same thing over and over. Um, fantastic. Thank you for clearing that up. The next uh, topic that I want to discuss is salt. I think it's not talked about enough. Um, so salt is uh, obviously, sodium is an important component of our diet. But how much do we need? And and are people getting too much salt in today's world? It's so interesting because salt is everywhere. You know, celery has salt. We have mm. naturally sodium in most things, right? Because mm-hmm. it comes in the ground, it's a mineral. Mm. And yes, most people are getting too much, especially on a standard Western diet or just anyone eating processed foods, because that's where you find the majority of them. But what's Mm. so interesting about it, it's easy to navigate because, well, first of all, ideally you're getting less than two grams a day, 2000 milligrams a day. But Mm. I recommend what the American Heart Association recommends is to try to keep it to 1500 milligrams or less, which is very easy to do when you follow a whole food plant-based diet, you're not using processed foods and you salt really conscientiously. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is if you look at the same amount of grams of bread versus the same amount of grams of potato chips, they Mm -hmm. have the same amount of sodium, but you don't taste it in the bread because Mm -hmm. it's baked in. 
the mm. potato chips have it on the outer surface. So it touches your tongue and you actually taste the salt. So that's why like when you're salting your food, do it at the very end. You don't need to add salt to the pasta water. You don't need to add salt to the, just keep adding salt or different layers of salt, like with, mm. you know, different versions. They're all the different condiments and a lot mm. of sauces are so high in salt. So be mm. just always read labels and look for the lowest sodium versions of things. And if you really need some extra salt at the end, like when you're about to eat it, then put it at the very tip so that you will actually taste it rather than just having it cook in and you don't even notice mm. it anyway. So it's not even worth it. So, and then I always, you know, nowadays there's really easy to find low sodium things. Like I always buy low sodium broth. Mm-hmm. I get low sodium, my, the lowest sodium. I, when I, the recipes that I've um, used in, and created in my books, I usually use something like a, a tamari or coconut aminos, which just seems to be the lowest in sodium. And I use that as my salt source or sometimes a miso paste, but I always look for the lowest sodium version of it. And again, I, I'm very kind of conscientious. The cool thing about salt is if you're used to eating a lot of salt, by the way, restaurants, tons of salt, because salt makes everything taste better, which is, you know, it's dangerous because the more, more salty you, you keep adding, and then you're shifting your palate. And then the more you eat. So the cool thing is you can change your palate. So if you really want to go all in, go cold tofu, go really low in sodium, start eating it. And then it won't taste very good. It'll taste bland for a few days, but every day will taste better and better and better. So much so that like celery will taste salty. Mm. And if you go out for a meal after having, you know, home cooked food for a few days, it will taste really salty. So your palate absolutely can adjust. I see, I see that every day with my clients. It just takes a few days, maybe a few weeks, depending on where your palate was before. Mm. And are there any, like, what are the effects of having too much salt on the body? What can it do to the body if you have too much of it? Right. That's a good question. That is very, why, yeah, why bother even thinking about this? Mm. Well, if you're, it increases your risk for high blood pressure. And if you already have high blood pressure, which most people do, and it's the mm. number one cause for cardi- cardiac events and strokes, uh, it will, you know, you need to be really careful of your sodium intake, but it's also, it also can cause things like stomach cancer, different, different gastrointestinal cancers. And, you know, a lot of people are salt sensitive. Not everyone is, but um, some people are more salt sensitive than others. You could retain fluids, stuff like that. And that could be problematic if you have kidney problems or if you don't want to retain fluids. So it's just, we don't need so much sodium in our lives. We get mm-hmm. plenty it's Absolutely. an electrolyte, so we need some, but we can't not get any. Sorry, it's impossible to not get any. Absolutely, and and just on that, because I, you know, there's a lot of there's a movement in the whole food plant based community. You know, salt, oil, and sugar free. Are there any issues of? Would it be an issue if you remove salt from your diet altogether? Like table you salt, really added. Couldn't. So oh, I mean, you, I you mean, really added salt, salt, added salt, like oh, table yeah, salt. No, no issues no, at all. No, you don't need that at all. There's plenty in mm. actual food. Mm. there's plenty in your your natural foods and like if you have one serving like i said like a bread or you have one if you use a little bit of hot sauce or you know you there's definitely salt in almost every single thing it's really hard to avoid it it's Mm -hmm. not something i've ever seen anyone need more of Mm. now of course if you're training for a marathon and you're doing a lot of endurance work and you're just drinking water then it could be a problem you could run into something like hyponatremia but in a regular everyday Mm. person that's just eating healthy food and drinking ample amounts of water, not too much. It's I yet to see a sodium deficiency ever. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and the third topic before we go into some other um, interesting uh, information is uh, the carnivore diet is getting a lot of press. 
um, especially in our community, which is, you know, people who want to try and heal their digestive issues, especially IBD. Uh, they say that, you know, they go on this all meat diet and their digestive situation improves and they say that they're healed and they're cured um, from from their gut issues. Is there any science behind this? And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on it? Have you ever seen a study that shows that an all meat diet can do anything for your GI tract? No, I mean, neither have it. I. Mm. Yeah, I have not found a single study to support that. I, I mm. would, I have hypotheses on why people feel better, but mm-hmm. the truth is, our microbiome is key for immune function, for GI mm. function, cardiovascular function, pretty much everything. It's mm-hmm. very much tied to our gut, our brain, and our everything. It's like there's, we're just at the tip of the iceberg with what we understand about the power of the microbiome. The bacteria that make up the microbiome thrive on prebiotics, fiber. It has to have fiber if you want the good types of of, uh, microbes in your bacteria. And those of course change on a daily basis. I think within minutes, your microbiome is shifting. So Mm -hmm. every time you eat a delicious plant or a fiber rich plant, you're making your bi- microbiome better and better and better because you're feeding it the healthy fiber that it needs to, as fuel. So if you're avoiding, if you're eating only meat, you're not getting any fiber because there's zero fiber in meat. There are zero phytonutrients in meat. Hmm. So I think my hypothesis on why people feel better, because I've heard anecdotes, of course, hmm. people always have a story and, and people always want to tell their story. It's because most people are coming from a really bad diet. Mm-hmm. And if they're cutting out all the junk food, all the sugars, all the processed foods, you know, maybe not eating fried foods or just eating cleaner, quote unquote, cleaner meats or whatever, of course, you're going to feel better. Plus, if you eliminate a lot of things and you're just eating very simply like that, your body will will kind of do a lot of repair and stuff like that. But long term, there is no question, animal products, period, overall, generally speaking, increase cholesterol increase, you know, your, your serum cholesterol, increase mm. your risk for cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, multiple cancers. So it's like, it's kind of a crazy leap to think you could heal something when there's no research to support it, first of all, and all the research we have with high consumption of these products, not even exclusive consumption of these products seems to be consistently, very consistently health damaging. Absolutely. Um, you know, you hear, you hear stories where, I've got my theories as well as to why, you know, people feel better. And obviously, yes, you know, getting rid of all the bad foods is a huge <laughs> change in someone's diet. Um, but also taking away, uh, you know, if, if you've got gut dys- dysbiosis already and then as you start to eat better, you, you start to shift that and that causes some disturbance and some distress. If you kind of go back and keep away from any of those healthier types of foods that were causing some issues as your microbiome starts to change, then of course you probably feel better. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So I think um, those are the three major topics that I've covered off. What I like to also ask all our guests is to share some really interesting stories that they've had from either you know, that they've seen from people that they're close to or from clients or um other things that can really inspire because i think you can talk about all the research till you know your face goes blue but people really respond to stories and 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 hey if that person did it so can i 
Would you like to share a couple that you've that you've um, had? I'm sure you've had a lot, but maybe there's two or three that stick out. Well, I could I could say I could give so many examples, <laughs> and even like I could give examples that I've seen repeated over and over and over over the years. Hmm. But I've done some fun kind of experiments. Like for instance, I did when the first time I was on the Dr. Oz show, mm-hmm. we took four women who had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and wanted to lose some weight. And for some mm. reason, you know, because Dr. Oz was making it, Dr. Oz and, you know, very, you know, camera fun and whatever made it a story. He put them in a zoo <laughs> and he called it the prehistoric <laughs> diet. And he fed them, it was like just fruits and vegetables for like four days. And then I met them on stage, you know, live and we were filming and their high blood pressure was there was normalized in just four days. Their mm. cholesterol went down a significant amount, their LDL their weight went down and they felt really good. And this was after mm. only a few days. That was one experience. And I see that again. I, I mean, I, I just, I teach groups. I just started a new group on Monday. And one of the students was in my group last year. He just reminded me of the story that he was on three blood pressure medications his entire adult life. And he's about 50, wow. his entire adult life. And within the first week of doing my program, got off all of them. <laughs> And I, again, I say results are typical. This is what mm-hmm. happened. The second experiment I've had was I was part of this group. We did a program called Meals for Health when I was a, a, the executive director of Earth Safe International. This was a mm-hmm. long time ago. I, I want to say like 11, 12 years ago. And we put um, these members of a food bank on a plant-based diet. We taught them how to eat. We taught them how to eat simply on a budget, taught them how to shop, all that, gave them a plant-based diet. And the results were just off the charts. I mean, I, we literally saw someone that was on a cane stand up because they had more energy and their muscles weren't hurting. The inflammation was reduced. And of course, we see significant reductions in cholesterol, significant reductions in, in normalization of blood pressure. Blood glucose gets regulated back to normal. You get euglycemic by switching their diet. And the, the crazy thing is how quickly this happens. So when people come to me to work with me, you know, I do a lot of one-on-one work. I do these groups. I, if someone comes to me and they're on a high blood pressure or a high blood sugar medication already, I tell them, call your doctor. You will need them on call because this is going to happen so fast, so much so that it becomes dangerous because mm-hmm. you could pass out if you all of a sudden are on this bl- high blood pressure medication and your blood pressure drops so much from being normal, but then the, the medication is keeping you at this level that you could pass out and become mm-hmm. hypoglycemic or hypotensive. So mm-hmm. I have my client make sure their doctors on are, are on high alert, even though the doctors are like, yeah, yeah. Cause they've seen their patients say they're going on a diet, but mm-hmm. this is so effective, so effective. So that there are so I know I teach healthcare professionals. I've spoken to many audiences with physicians and dietitians and nurses. And a lot of those people, it was like, it used to be a few people in a room when I first <laughs> started this. Now the last one I gave a talk to, um, it was like, oh, 11, 1200 people. This was right wow. before the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. And the, most of the people in the audience had learned from their patients, like their patients came yes. back to them with reversal of conditions they didn't expect. And mm. they were like, wow, what did you do? I need to know about that. Mm. So it's, it's amazing. It's almost like this, um, grassroots movement of people, you know, just like kind of going up rather than trying to change the policy, which is, I think a lot harder because of all the bureaucracy, but Mm. The, the stories just go on and on and on. I've seen people reverse, you know, IBD, at least get out of any kind of flare and keep it asymptomatic. I've seen people recover from things like IBS and um, all sorts of things. I mean, uh, chronic lifelong asthma and mm-hmm. allergies and 
again, like I had that acne, I, you know, people's skin clearing up and rosacea and just on and on and on things that even little things, even the pain I have clients all the time today. I got a text. I always get texts from my clients are so happy. My clients are happy clients. You know, mm -hmm. the, today she's like, Oh my God, you've changed my life so much. I can't even believe it. And she just started with me, but mm -hmm. she feels better. Her skin's going. She's ha her husband's like, you're so happy. All these wonderful <laughs> things happen when you just feel good and you get out of your body's way and it, you let it heal itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Getting out of the way and letting it heal itself. So important. Those words are just really magical. Um, so now, okay. So people who are watching this and they're hearing all these amazing stories and thinking, wow, you know, maybe I should give this a go. What would be your top, you know, tips for getting started? Like, you know, cause if you're on a standard American diet or Western diet, um, do you want to just go full speed ahead or do you think it's better to ease into it? So the research shows that easing into it seems to have the most sustainability, but I would say this, there are two types of people in this world. I really mm -hmm. do. I think there's some people that just need to dive in. They're just like, like I call it cold tofu. They just go in all in. They've decided they had, they either saw a relative or something, or they watched a movie mm -hmm. or they're listening to a podcast and like, I'm just doing this. They're ready to do this. <laughs> That's ah, me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I did it overnight. Awesome. Yeah. 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 But there yeah, are I'm other types of people stuff. too. And the other types of people are people that need to kind of stepwise into it. I stepwise into it too. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. What matters is that you start with, here's my tips. Start mm -hmm. on the happiest journey. This is fun. Okay. First of all, most of us are creatures of habit. Most of us switch between maybe one or two different breakfasts, maybe three or four different lunches a week, maybe five different dinners in a week. We mm. only need about eight to 10 recipes that we already like, we'll find our new eight to 10 recipes that are plant-based that you could build into your new repertoire. Mm -hmm. The other thing is most of we've eaten plant-based our whole life. We just never thought about it. Like, you know, how many of us have had a bean and rice burrito or, you know, a vegetable soup or a salad or a fruit salad or oatmeal or a mm -hmm. PB and J. There are mm -hmm. so many things that we grew up eating that were plant-based. We just didn't have that term back then. So mm -hmm. go back to what you know, spaghetti marinara. I mean, there's so many examples. Go back to what's familiar. Start there. Mm -hmm. The other cool thing is that now, unlike when I was starting, is the best time ever because you can easily search up any single thing you want to make. So mm -hmm. let's say you're craving, you know, lasagna, for instance. Google whole food plant-based lasagna. And now there will be thousands of options that will pop up and then just use your, you know, your, your taste buds, look at a recipe and go, Ooh, you know, use the recipes as templates because mm. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's already been done for you. So look for a recipe that sounds delicious because you have to love your food, of course. And all of us are foodies, you know, people are like, well, I'm a foodie. I can't eat that way. All of us are foodies. I'm a foodie too. We all are just mm. find your new favorites, you know? So if you find a recipe you love, how I started is I would find a recipe and if I loved it, I'd put a little heart on it. And if my kids loved it, it'd get like a big heart. And if my ex-husband, <laughs> we all loved it. It was like, that was a keeper. And then if I didn't love it, I'd either try to modify it or I would just move on to the next one, especially now that there's so many options out there. Just find eight to 10 recipes that you love and just start swapping them in. Have a meatless mm -hmm. Monday, have, you know, like just start slow. And the other thing I always love to remind people is there's no such thing as a perfect diet and don't give yourself that pressure because there's no point. You will never be perfect. There's no point in trying. Find things you love. Enjoy it. Enjoy the journey. Take notes. Study yourself. Study your body. 
then once you start feeling the difference and seeing the benefits and seeing your labs improve or whatever it is, it will just speak volumes and you won't want to stop. Absolutely. Yeah, those are great tips. Yeah, start with what you love. That's I like that. Um, now, you talked about recipes and you have some recipe books. And we'll... I have nine uh, recipe books at this point. Yes. We'll link, we'll link down below to where you can find Juliana's books and all the information about all the amazing things that she does. But... Um, when it starts to, when it comes to cooking, especially whole food plant based, people get a bit da- daunted by the whole thing that oh, I've got, I can't I've been cooking with oil my whole life. How do I stop using oil in my diet? And and what are some of the things that people can do just to get started with shifting to cooking more whole food plant based meals? Well, it's so funny. Okay, so I was I had two toddlers, and I was at home raising them full time. And I was asked to write my first book mm-hmm. and I had six weeks to write an entire book. I never written a book before. Wow. Oh, and by the way, 50 recipes. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm a dietitian. Like I know statistics, physiology, <laughs> nutrients, and food science. I don't know how to cook. Mm. I had six weeks. So like, sorry, you have to do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a girl who takes challenge. I like a good challenge. I did it. I taught myself how to not only cook really, but how to cook and make recipes. So if I could Mm. do this, anybody could do this. But my point is keep it simple and go with what's already been done because Mm. back then there weren't a lot of recipe books. So now Mm -hmm. get a book, you'll find your, or even start with a blog because you'll Mm. find your recipe um, authors that you love because you'll start to trust them. You'll know that if you follow exactly what the recipe says, you'll be able to, you'll love what they make. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what I suggest is finding your favorite recipe um, developers and just following a recipe. And so you get her, you find a recipe that sounds good. Start with one recipe. It sounds good. You love it. It looks delicious. Read it really carefully. The entire thing, what you need to do. Do you have all the ingredients? If not, just write a shopping list. Do you have all of the, do you know, do you know, do you have a pot? Do you have, you know, whatever you, the equipment you're going to need, just know all the steps and it helps if you come home and you just like put all your ingredients, you know, you do your mise en place, it's called, where you just get all of your ingredients ready to go before you start. So you don't have to rush and get stressed out. Mm-hmm. Read it one more time, read all the instructions, and then just do it. And I'll tell you this, even the most novice cook like myself, well, you can learn and learn and learn. And now, literally, even if I have no, no reason for it, I cook. Like last night, I just had a couple of hours. I'm like, I just feel like cooking. I didn't even need to cook. I'm like, I just feel like cooking because I go in my kitchen. I put on a podcast and I'm chopping and cooking and it's become my happy place. And I would have mm. never thought that that would be what happened to me. So you never know what's going to happen. Just go have fun with it. And again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just follow some something that sounds good because it's already been done for you. Wonderful. And my last tip that I want you to share with everyone is... Um, what, what, do you, what do you use instead of oil when you're sauteing? Like, what are your go-tos? That's the other crazy thing, how little you'll miss oil. Because, mm. you know, I, I have nothing horrible against oil. It's just that most people are trying to lose weight. And mm. it's 2,000 calories per cup of oil, which is very easy to aggregate in a day. You know, if mm. you're making a dressing or you're drizzling it over your salad or you're sauteing. or So it's an easy way to cut thousands of calories out of your diet and tons mm. of fat that we don't. Like, I'd rather you get your fat from nuts and seeds and avocado and tofu and all that because it's mm. their whole food. Oil is pure fat, right? It's extracted fat. There's nothing else in there except fat and maybe a couple extra nutrients. So it's really easy. It's surprisingly easy. I have videos on my YouTube and my I always post videos of how to do this. 
Hmm. But the coolest thing, like the hardest thing you would think to make would be onions, to start the, start the mirepoix, to start the onion saute. So I always, you, here's the trick. You get your pot or pan very, very hot. Okay. Mm-hmm. You keep a little thing of water or vegetable broth or vinegar. Sometimes I'll use wine or a plant milk or, you know, something more exotic, but mostly always, almost always I use water or vegetable broth and you have mm-hmm. that ready to go. And then as soon as your pot or pan is very, very hot, then you put the oven, the onions on, stay close. and don't leave, watch it, let it sit a little bit, st- you know, stir it with your spoon. And then when it starts to get brown, which it will get brown, which is kind of shocking, then add a splash of your liquid and then and it'll, go, psh, it'll sizzle. And mm. then you're going to have the caramelization like you would with the oil. Now, mm. if you're trying to use something like for flavor, like a chili oil or a sesame oil that imparts a very strong flavor, you could add a dash of that at the end and you'll get all the flavor with just not that bad of a health impact. So mm. um, there's ways to use oil in very, very small doses, but you don't need it. You really don't miss it in the end. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. I think um, we cleared up a, quite a few important topics that people have been ta- asking us about, especially, but also that uh, confuse people or make people think twice about, you know, going on a plant-based diet. And we get a message every day. I see I see all these, you know, we just got it yesterday. Um, and that was one of the reasons I want to ask you about, especially that carnivore diet was that, you know, oh, I'm seeing all these people heal on the plant-based diet, but I'm seeing all these stories of people healing um, or saying that they're healing on on this on this high meat or only meat diet, and I'm just so confused about what I do. So, you know, I try to explain to people that, you know, well, look at the research, do your own research, you know, go with your gut, try to understand, you know, does it make sense? Um, and um, hopefully that you'll, you know, eventually logic will prevail and you'll make the right choice. But... Um, it's, the it, problem it, is, is that everybody eats and so everybody has an opinion about food and mm. because people with like a good body or a celebrity like it resonates like a very loud microphone and people mm. listen and mm. it's very easy to believe because it's they're very passionate about it and there's a lot of misinformation out there so and mm. a lot of people don't know really how to sit through the research and know because you could there's a lot of ways to miss you know misinterpret the research and stuff like that too oh, so 100%. it's it's a tough landscape to navigate yeah, I think um, anyone who's watching this and you do want to look into the research and you're looking at different studies and you see, you know, like, oh, this food is really good. I always ask people to say, well, look at what they're comparing it to. So compared to what? You know, so if they're looking at butter, for example, they may compare it to a McDonald's McMuffin, you know. <laughs> well, compare that to an apple and see what's better. You know, there's, there's so many there's so many ways to to kind of twist the uh, the information to suit a particular um endpoint that the um that the research is looking for so yes it can be very murky can't it um but um yeah I'd, I'd like to thank you very much for joining uh us here today on ibd heal um juliana Heva. and um everyone who's watching hope you enjoyed and you learned a lot um from from what juliana had to share with us today so um two thumbs up from me i really appreciate it it was a real honor to have you on um thank you very much thank you so much Nicole. it's very honored to be here well, there you have it, everyone. Juliana Hever, the plant-based dietitian. What an amazing show we had today. She shared some very, very interesting information about oxalate, salt, the carnivore diet, and giving some amazing tips on how to move to a plant-based diet, cooking on a plant-based diet, you know, cooking without oil. So very grateful to have her share her knowledge with us today, I'm sure. And I hope you enjoyed 
the podcast. Now, if you've been watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, please make sure you share this with as many people as you can so we can get this word out about how to move over to a plant-based diet, plant diet and also some of the very insightful information that Juliana shared with everyone here today. If you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up so that um, we can share this video with as many people as possible. If you have any questions, there's a comment section down below, so ask away. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our YouTube channel, High Carb Health, so you can get all our recent uploads. And if you click that bell notification icon, you will get notifications of every video that we upload. So hopefully you can do that. I really, really hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me here today. Have a great day, everyone, and make sure you eat plants and lots of them. Take care.